In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to a special edition of the X's and Argos podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant. It's bye week. We've been trying our best to give you as much Argos content as we can this week because we know the team's on a bye. You don't get to see the boatmen play. So you've got us. And another special episode today. Joining me from CFL News Hub, I've got Mike Mitchell, who I'm ecstatic to finally have on the show. Mike, how you doing? And thanks so much for joining me. Uh, thank you. I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Ben, for having me on. I love your show. This is an honor. Well, I, I appreciate you joining me because I've got a lot of stuff that I want to talk to you about. You know, I, we've gotten to know each other fairly well over the last couple of months, but we never get to talk, I was going to say in person, but whatever this is, uh, right, it's exactly. always through texts and tweets and, and DMs. And I, I love talking football with you, especially personnel. You know, we've had some great conversations about, you know, players coming in, you know, what do you know about this guy? What, you know, what do you think about this guy? And we've kind of, you know, set our own lineups and, and everything else. And coming into the second half of the season, I think there's some really interesting possibilities uh, with regards to the players on the roster. I want to talk quarterbacks a little bit later on. I want to talk about some of the new players we got coming in, maybe some personnel moves that we haven't seen yet that we might see going into the second half of the season. So I think you're the perfect guy for this episode. So yeah, I'm excited to do it. Let's let's get right to it. Thanks, so man. the first uh, first thing I want to talk about is I was signed two guys, two new guys, and I thought we could you know maybe tell the audience a little bit about what we both know about them. So Jalen Collins, defensive back, and Justin Tuggle, a linebacker, who I think Argos fans are probably a bit more familiar with because he he was an Argo, of course. But yeah, let's. Let's talk about Jalen Collins. What do you what do you make of the signing? What do you think of him? Give me what you got, Mike. You know, it's interesting. I haven't seen Jalen Collins on any of the uh, Argonauts uh, negotiation lists. A lot, oftentimes, and especially in recent times, we'll see a lot of players get signed on. By like Toronto recently signed Cole McDonald, the quarterback, uh, former Tennessee Titans draft pick. So Jalen Collins kind of came out of left field, but it kind of t- it tells me that the Argo scouting department has had their eyes on him for for quite some time now, and Collins is willing to give the CFL a try. And the Argos have had success this year with CFL rookies like Jamal Peters and Trayson Decoud and others there. So um, Collins is a talented player. He's only 28 years old. He was a standout at LSU, former second round pick of the Atlanta Falcons, 6'1", 203, 4'4", speed. So he has the physical tools to play on the boundary, to play to play at safety. So uh, there's definitely a skill set there that could translate to the CFL game. It's provided that, you know, he, he's dedicated and he can steer clear some of the off-field issues that he's had in his past. It's a fascinating signing. There's no question that Toronto sees upside with him. And he's someone who projects as a potential starter in the league in a couple of different spots. You could even potentially see him at the Sam. Um, so who knows? But I think it's a very good signing by them. It's I don't know how quickly he can contribute. Um, that might take some time. But um, he's the fact that he was willing to come to Canada and come to Toronto and give this a shot to resurrect his career, uh, that bodes well for him. He's got the right mindset there and attitude. And I think he can he can be someone who's a front, like Shaq Richardson, he can be a player like that, um, you know, on the back end of the defense. But that's maybe for down the line. But who knows what Chris Jones does with him if he does get him into the lineup. 
Yeah, and I wondered about if this was a Chris Jones-influenced move. You know, Jones is new. He's coming to the building. And, and you know, who, who knows what, what Chris Jones has been watching and, <laughs> and, uh, and following. And, you know, here comes Jones in. Now suddenly here's the signing. This guy, as you said, out of left field. Is this Chris Jones saying, hey, this is a guy that I had been watching maybe a year ago, two years ago, you know, maybe in his time with the Browns? That's possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, wouldn't, I wouldn't rule that out. And, you know, when you get Vince Magri and then John Murphy and then Chris Jones, there's a lot of people within the Toronto organization that, you know, that have done a lot of scouting of different leagues. And you can tell that influence on the current Argonauts roster, several former XFL players, NFL players, obviously DJ Foster's contributing heavily. Sean Oakman is contributing uh, heavily. You got a lot of CFL rookies from America that are doing an excellent job for the team. Dejon Allen protecting the blind side there. So their scouting department is working overtime and you can tell that they've been looking at different leagues and different avenues to bring in players. And so I wouldn't sleep on uh, Jalen Collins as a signing. It could turn out to be, you know, much to do about nothing, but it, he could turn out to be a key factor like DJ Foster has been for the team. Yeah, Jalen Collins has the measurables. He's ext- was extremely fast. You know, we haven't seen him, I guess, in in a little while. But yeah, he was really fast. He he's got good size. I, I think probably usually with guys like that, you, you don't often see someone come in out of the blue into that Sam spot. That's, that's but true. I do think he profiles quite well as a Sam backer. When you kind of you know look at the, his style of play, uh, you know his physicality. He's you know he's played safety, uh, but I think probably a guy like that. It starts at corner and, you know, it starts to learn the game. And if he's going to get in this season, I think it's probably going to be at the, at the corner spot. And, you know, we're, we're, we're still, there's, there's injuries, right? Like the, you look at the corners, we weren't in a world where we were expecting Jamal Peters and Tristan Deku to be playing the corner spots, you know, just a, like a month ago, maybe a little bit more than that. But yeah, Robertson Daniel goes down, Arjun Cahoon was having some injury issues and then suddenly Deku was in there. They had that flexibility with the other Canadians that were on the roster. So you, you never know. Um, but at some point you s- sustain a few more corner injuries and they're going to need to go back to the well. So, you know, a guy like Collins, I think, I think could be huge. Versatility in the CFL is extremely important. Anytime you've got a back-end player like a Cresden Butler or a Shaq Richardson who can play multiple positions on the boundary at safety. You can move them around. Obviously, Edwards can play all over the place. Someone like Dexter McCoy can play all over the place. So if you can have someone who the the Argos this year have moved guys around, um, you know, recently Trayson Decoud has moved over over to play halfback there and he was playing uh, uh, the corner position there. So anytime you can, I get, I would, I could see with Toronto, the level of success they've had with players like Peters and others uh, is why they're willing to, you know, dip their toes in the water again for an American defensive back. Cause I've been pretty impressed with these players, the way they've transitioned to CFL game. It's not easy to play uh, in Canada to make that kind of transition. The Argos have been fortunate to hit on the American players that they have hit on, specifically at that position. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and the the Justin Tuggle signing, uh, this one is, is maybe a bit more intriguing because it suggests a few things. So like when, when you saw that come across the wire, Justin Tuggle signing, you know, a guy that he's, he's a middle linebacker. He, he was playing middle linebacker for the Tiger Cats in, in the 2019 Great Cup. We had him in Toronto for the 2017 Great Cup win and he played the, the following season as well. That one to me, that worried me when I saw that signing. And I, I like Justin Tuggle. I think he's a really good player. He's, I guess he's, he's gotta be like 30, 31 now. And, you know, that, that's fine. That's, you know, in this, on this defense, that's one of the younger guys in, uh, <laughs> in uh, some cases, but uh, that, that 
immediately set off alarm bells because I know that we've got a couple guys banged up right now. Are they maybe, does this mean they think these injuries to Judge, to Muamba are going to carry on? Everything I've heard about with Judge is that he's it's going to be a while before he's back with the team playing. Now, initially, they fear that his foot sprain was season ending. You know, perhaps he's out for six games. Hopefully that's not the case. But I agree with you, Ben, in the fact that this worries me a little bit. If you look at the last two games that Toronto played, they got run all over. And as much as I like Dexter McCoyle and Vontae Diggs, they're not Mike linebackers. So and Tuggle has experience playing on the mic. And he also has experience playing a lot of different areas. He can play outside and linebacker. And he's an edge rusher as well. He had three sacks with Toronto. He has six career sacks in the CFL. And I think he had three sacks the last time he was with Toronto. So he has that versatility to play a couple different spots. But this does concern me. Like, I'm not saying that Tuggle's going to start right out the gate at the mic position. And hopefully Jack Kassar and Trevor Hoyt step up and play better. But I don't, as much as I love the performance of McCoyle this season and Diggs is a talented backer, I think they're out of position. I don't think, uh, I don't know if they can hold up against the run in the middle of the defense. So Tuggle might be coming in to, to fill that position. The sooner they can get Moamba back, the better. That would help their entire front seven. Um, but uh, with hamstring injuries are tricky. Um, you know, there's fear of putting a player out there too soon and them tearing the hamstring and being done completely for the entire year. We're, we're in the stretch run now. There's seven games left. And so uh, any any torn hamstring could mean see you later, Enoch. So you don't want to you don't want to get into that point. You need a player like that. He's vital. And you can see how vital, you know, maybe the stat sheet wasn't as pretty sometimes for Mwamba and Judge this season. But you can see how important they were as soon as they left the lineup. Because it, the Argos, maybe I'm exaggerating it, but it's pretty close. They've given up close to 400 yards rushing in the last two games. So I think 178 and 170 or whatever it was to Saskatchewan. So uh, that's a little bit of an issue to worry about. And I think with two games in a five-day span against Ottawa and Hamilton, you wonder if the Argos are going to have uh, – I would think that Enoch's closer to coming back. But you wonder if they, they might go – through both those games without those guys. And that might be difficult. Um, I know Ottawa is not known for being a heavy running team. They haven't had a lot of success this year, although they played pretty well against Hamilton, uh, Edmonton. But um, yeah, we're, we're going to see how that works out. But tug, the Tuggle signing to me is an indicator that uh, we're not going to see Judge for a while and they want somebody else who can play on uh, Mike position on the roster. Yeah, I, I think this is probably a direct response to Montreal just absolutely having their way with them on the ground. And I know, like you said, the Saskatchewan game wasn't great for run defense, but it didn't look the same as the Montreal game. Like the Montreal game, they were just able to run at will and whatever they, you know, whatever they wanted on the ground. And it was fortunate that Toronto was able to prevent being in a position where Montreal could just, you know, pound at the the, the, the last quarter. Um, Montreal had to come from behind. And I think that was a good thing. But I think they probably looked at that and they're like, yeah, we don't, we don't have a guy in that spot because I, you know, I, I love Diggs. I think McCoyle's great too, but like you said, they're, they're, they're not Mac linebackers. And so it, it maybe not thinking long-term for Enoch, but thinking what if he did go down again, we need another answer. And they haven't been able to get Bear Woods uh, on the field. And um, there just really isn't anyone else on the roster. There, Jack Kassar is a middle linebacker, but with that hip injury he's had, he hasn't been able to, he hasn't been able to, to, to get himself on the field since that, that opener in Calgary. So yeah, there's question marks. So bringing in a guy like Tuggle, that way now they know if something happens to Enoch Mwamba, we've got this guy that we can count on. And, you know, I think you, I think he'll probably end up on the roster pretty soon. Um, Makes sense. 
Yeah, yeah a veteran like agree. that. I, I could see him pretty soon. I, I don't know if we see, I don't think we, I would guess we don't see either of them for Ottawa. I think they're hoping they can get through Ottawa without having to bring anyone that's sort of still questionable back and without having to throw anyone out there who's not ready yet. Um, and they're hoping they can get that win. I think they can, but then they're going to load up for for that Hamilton game because that's that's a big one. Huge, yeah. Let's uh, let's move the conversation to quarterback a little bit because this is one that I man I love talking quarterbacks with with anybody who knows Argos football and you know Argos football as well as anyone. So this is this has become an interesting bye week debate when we had Paul Woods on earlier in the week, and I think you caught that, and yeah, you know, he said no interview. question. No question, I send out McLeod Bethel-Thompson. He's he's a Macbeth guy. I, I like Macbeth. I like Arbuckle. Me personally, I, I send Arbuckle out and I don't even think twice about it. And I can give you my rationale for that after. But I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Your, your coach, Dinwiddie, who's taking the ball on, on Wednesday against Ottawa? I, you know, it's interesting. If sitting Arbuckle, if it's, it's all contingent on his hamstring injury. If it's, it doesn't appear to be serious, but if the team fears that he can get hurt and tear his hamstring, same conversation we just had about uh, Enoch Mwamba, then it's playing McLeod Bethel Thompson against Ottawa is a way of benching Arbuckle without really benching him. So I I think, you know, when you look at Nick Arbuckle this season, I know he's got six touchdowns, uh, five interceptions. He's had some fumbles. He's been up and down two and two as a starter. I think personally, and I think you might agree with this. I think Arbuckle is coming off his best game against Saskatchewan. That was his best game of the season. Now, the thing that kind of surprised me though, in being involved in these uh, media scrums with Ryan Dinwiddie is a lot of the media members were looking for Ryan Dinwiddie to throw roses at Nick Arbuckle for how he performed against the Rough Riders. He made some big time throws down the field, thought it was his best performance. And I understand a lot of this is coach speak, but um, uh, Dinwiddie wasn't very complimentary of Nick Arbuckle's performance. And that stood out to me. That was quite telling to me. And I understand he's a little bit harder on Nick Arbuckle because he expects more from him because Arbuckle knows Dinwiddie's system. So he knows exactly what's required of him. And he figures that Nick Arbuckle should know now what decisions to make and what not to do. And so um, I don't think Arbuckle's done anything to lose the job. I've always felt that the quarterback position is his job to lose. And so if he's healthy, I think he's going to, he's going to be starting for the team. I don't think it's we're at a position where you could say, you know, Arbuckle's faltered so heavily that you have no choice but to go to McLeod. But I don't know what the coaching staff is thinking. I, I get the sense that just, and I understand he's a perfectionist, but I get the sense from Ryan Dinwiddie that he hasn't been happy with the missed opportunities that the offense has had and in some of the decision-making. And that's been Nick Arbuckle's uh, biggest Achilles heel is his decision-making, how he holds the football in the pocket, some of the fumbles he's had. Um the play against Hamilton was dreadful where he threw that interception where the Argos had no business coming close to losing that game. They won 17, 16, a game they dominated. They had no, you know, Dane Evans was out. They, had, they, they should have been able to dominate that game and win easily. But Arbuckle made a huge mistake at the end of that game. And if not for an extra point hitting the uprights, the, they, who knows, Toronto might've lost that game. So they had no business losing that. So I think they're getting to the stretch part of the season now with seven games left where the Argonauts know that they want to make a push for the playoffs, potentially win the East. And everything I've heard 
And my sense of the organization is that they feel that this team is ready to win a championship now. If this was a rebuilding team where they want, you know, they felt like we, it goes, it's without question, Nick Arbuckle's our starter and we need to get him reps and we need to find out if he's our future. Then I feel like for sure, hundred percent Arbuckle would be behind center if he's healthy. But I wonder if the organization is wavering a little bit and thinking, does McLeod Bethel Thompson give us our best chance to win? If you start, I would start McLeod Bethel Thompson against Ottawa um, and then play it by ear. It's a way of benching Arbuckle, not to say that he's it's warranted for him to be benched, but it's a way of benching him without actually benching him and giving McLeod Bethel Thompson another chance to start and keep that dynamic they had going with Pipkin backing up McLeod Bethel Thompson. I thought that worked very well um, in the last game and helped uh, fix some of the the um, the issues that Toronto's had with short yardage in the red zone. So I would do that, and then you go from there. You know, it's going to be fascinating because if Nick Arbuckle's not 100%, you, you know, you're making a decision who your starter is going to be really for two games in a sense because it's a quick turnaround. You're playing Hamilton five days later. So... Uh, you don't want to prepare for Ottawa. They're only going to, they're going to be, haven't been practicing yet for Ottawa. So you don't want a situation where you only have a couple of days of practice and you don't have your starter working with your team. So uh, hopefully Arbuckle's health's a key in all of this. And um, I would go to McLeod. I would go to McLeod, not for the entire season. I would just, I would go with him towards uh, against Ottawa. And if he's hot, you ride the hot hand until he's not. And I don't know if the organization is going to make that move, but we'll see what happens when practice resumes. So you said about seven things that I want to like touch on there. <laughs> let's let's start with <laughs> let's start with the Ottawa thing because I think there's a danger is the wrong word here. I I think now I'm often wrong on this, but I feel like Toronto was going to annihilate Ottawa on Wednesday. I think you get. A week of film on this kid, I don't think he's going to look anything as good as he did against Edmonton. I also think Edmonton is not a very good football team. And I think Toronto is a good football team. I think they're coming off a week's rest. I think it's something they needed. I expect the Argos to look really good on Wednesday in pretty much all phases of the game. And I think whichever quarterback you put out there is going to be really hard to replace uh, anytime soon. Because they, whoever it is, I think is going to put up a big game. And it's going to put up numbers. And so part of me wonders too, like I, I feel like, I'm maybe I'm overthinking this, but I feel like if we see Nick Arbuckle out there against Ottawa, I, something in the back of my head starts wondering, does, does Coach Dinwiddie, is he putting him out here because he wants his guy to succeed? Is, is, is he pulling for Nick Arbuckle? Is this the guy he wants running his offense and he knows that McLeod's going to go out there and throw for 400? And, and I don't know, like, <laughs> not that he wouldn't put the best guy out there because I, I think sure. he would, you know, he wants to win. But Absolutely. I do wonder about, you know, some of the decision making because it's Ottawa. Does that change things a little bit? I don't, I don't know. Just something that, uh, that occurred to me as you were as you were talking about. Yeah, I think if Arbuckle, I think honestly, I think if Arbuckle's healthy, if he can practice, he's going to be starting against Ottawa. The problem is if he's not 100% healthy, you can't, you know, I you can't have McLeod Bethel Thompson take all the first team reps and Arbuckle be limited, and then on Wednesday you just put Arbuckle out there. It's not. You know, it's not ideal situation and if you want to have optimum success, even though you have an opponent, as you mentioned, and rightfully so, 
not trying to be disrespectful towards the Red Blacks. They have some elements of their team that worry me from a Toronto aspect. Uh, special teams, Devontae Deadman is a problem, and Toronto's had their issues in that department. And Caleb Evans was impressive. He talented college career. I, I Honestly, I'm super impressed by how he played in the first game. That's impressive for a CFL rookie to come and play that way. But on paper, Ottawa's defense is not very good. And Toronto is very talented on the offensive end, so they should be able to move the ball. So I don't know, Ben, if the thinking is, you know, which quarterback do I want to look better? So let me put Arbuckle out there so he could throw for 400. I, I'm, I'm going over the top a bit on that. <laughs> I know, I, I know. I get what you're saying, though. I get it. I get. I think my opinion is I think Arbuckle is the team starter because I don't think he's – I think it's his job, and I don't think he's done anything to, per se, lose it. So um, I don't know that he's knocked it out of the park, you know, but I th- I think he's played well enough. You know, the turnover touchdown uh, uh, ratio is not very good for him. I think he's got nine turnovers and six touchdowns. So he's maybe got a uh, rushing touchdown or two. His completion percentage is not bad. But what I, what I got out of the uh, Ryan Dinwiddie's comments about Arbuckle's performance against the Riders was that he missed a lot of plays and he wasn't happy with his decision making. Sometimes, you know, as a coach, Ben, you know, the public fans, the media, when we watch a game, we watch a game and we see the statistics and we see plays that are being made. And, you know, a player's performance can look very good to us. But coaches know what the game plan is and what decisions should have been made and what weren't made. Sometimes decision making is um, is more than just throwing into coverage or throwing into double coverage or making a poor decision on that. Decision making is how you throw the ball, what velocity you throw it at and where you throw the balls. So a lot of times I got the sense from Dinwiddie talking to him and, and asking him about Arbuckle's performance against the writers and hearing other media members ask him that there were plays left on the field that uh, that Arbuckle should have made that he did not and uh, reads that he should have made that he did not and that you know, uh, Dinwiddie wasn't too happy with him about. Now, I don't know if that's going to prompt him to make the change and change his favorite, but um, McLeod has some McLeod has more experience and his decision making is better. I know he's a player that runs hot and cold. His decision making is better than Arbuckle's at this point of his career. And he's got a stronger arm, I would argue. And so I, I think there's more capabilities there in terms of attacking down the field. I don't know if that's what they're looking for, but we're going to find out in these next couple of games uh, where the coaching staff is leaning in terms of their quarterback position. The Toronto has a good problem. At the, but they don't want up and down play at the quarterback position. They want a leap play. And I think that's what Dinwiddie's been hitting at recently, that he's looking for stability there, uh, not inconsistencies. The Saskatchewan press conferences was a funny one because like I, I told him, I thought that was his best game. I, I, that's what I said to, to coach Dinwiddie in the, in the press conference. I'm like, I thought that was Nick Arbuckle's best game. And he looked at me like I had two heads. Uh, <laughs> and I was, like, what did I miss? And, and, but even on a rewatch, I went back through it. And I think it's like you're saying, like there's little things, you know, they had obviously talked during the week in this situation, we're going to do this in this situation, you're going to go here. And, you know, we don't, we don't have all 24. We don't, right. you know, we don't, it, it's so hard to tell sometimes, but yeah, on the, on the broadcast, I, I still stand by that being is from everything I can see, Nick Arbuckle played a great game, but yeah, that's, that's what I thought too. I think he's a little, uh, like I mentioned, I think he's, you know, people would think you uh, that Dinwiddie plays favorites with Arbuckle. I think he's actually the reverse. I think he's a, a Dinwiddie's fair with McLeod Bethel Thompson because MBT is still learning his system. And I think he's harder on Arbuckle because he expects him by now to quote unquote, get it. 
And if he doesn't get it, he's more upset at him now because he figures you should know by now where to go with the football. So, I, I, you know, like like I said, we like you said, we don't have the old all 24, but coaches have that luxury and you're a coach yourself is that, you know, exactly what the play should have looked like. And at home, us as media members or fans will watch it and say, oh, nice five yard completion. And and uh, the coach will know that was that should have been a 55 yard touchdown and he missed it twice. So, um, you know, so that's kind of like I just found it fascinating that Dinwiddie, you and I, I my report card I do on CFL News Up, I think I gave him an A minus for that performance against the Rough Riders. So when I heard that postgame press conference from Dinwiddie, you would have thought uh, uh, it was our buckle, the, his worst performance of the season based on what Dinwiddie said. It was a complete opposite of what I thought it would be. So that's why I'm fascinated. It's a conundrum right now at the quarterback position. I'm fascinated to see if they where they go uh, against. And we're going to find out once practices resume and once we get a chance to, to talk with coach and find out where they're headed, whether at least get a hint of where they're headed. Let's do one more thing on quarterbacks before we, you know, officially beaten this topic to death. But this, <laughs> the one thing that I was thinking about, uh, and it's actually JB that, that sort of inspired this line of thought. He loves outside the box thinking. He loves marketing efficiencies. He loves, you know, trying to trying to get an edge somewhere that no one else has thought of yet. And and I was thinking about the quarterback situation in Toronto, where you have two clearly capable quarterbacks in Arbuckle and McLeod Bethel-Thompson. You have Antonio Pipkin, who you love as a short yardage quarterback and can even suit up as a backup quarterback if need be. It's still still one of the better backup quarterbacks in, in the league. Absolutely. Would you consider approaching game by game based on skill set? Because I look at the teams around the league, I would much rather put Arbuckle out there against Winnipeg than I would McLeod Bethel-Thompson. I think Arbuckle is a far better quarterback for that defense. Because right. it's a defense that doesn't react as quickly to the short stuff. We we saw Arbuckle take advantage of of that defense, even in his is you know one quarter or whatever it was in right. Winnipeg. He looked pretty good, and then he had a great game against Winnipeg and Toronto. McLeod Bethel Thompson struggles against that defense, uh, but yet he looks amazing against defenses that have a little more trouble downfield, like Montreal. And maybe right. that's a better matchup for McLeod Bethel Thompson. Usually, the quarterback position isn't like that. Uh, other, you know, you can say, you know, receivers, sure, you know, we're going to use a use more running back play this game or whatever. Quarterback, I, I've never really seen that happen. Would you consider going week to week, depending on who the opponent is, this is the quarterback we're going with? I think I can I can definitely see that happening. If there's defense that had struggles against mobile quarterbacks, if Arbuckle's starting and he's healthy, you can you can deactivate McLeod Bethel Thompson and, and play Antonio Pipkin behind him based on that. I think that's a very good idea. I think Pipkin needs to be utilized moving forward. The week leading in uh, week leading into the Montreal game, I posed the question of whether or not the, the Argos, little did I know that Arbuckle wouldn't play at all, but uh, uh, whether or not the Argos would be interested in dressing Antonio Pipkin to help him with their short yardage issues. Obviously they had two red zone drives against the riders where they came away with the, whatever it was three points, no points. So, um, so Pipkin made, it was a big factor. He picked up four first downs against Montreal. He brings an added dimension to the team. He saves your quarterback. If you do have, if you're worried about Arbuckle injuring his re-injuring his hamstring, uh, rather let's have Pipkin run those plays near the goal line and short yardage and all that. So um, yeah, I, I think, 
uh, game plan specific, I can see that Dr- going with if you're facing a defense that um, has secondary issues and you want to challenge them down the field, then you dress McLeod. I- I'm all for the team. You know, they haven't gotten over the hurdle yet in terms of injuries. I don't know if they ever will. We'll see what happens moving forward. But I'm all for the team dressing three quarterbacks. Obviously, in the CFL, you have to be a little creative with using loopholes to do that. So you'd have to dress up Pipkin as a wide receiver and you'd have it come at the expense of one of the special teams players. So so that's a little bit of little dicey there. And then I think they're the coaching staff are hesitant to do that. But um, it's an option moving forward, um, especially if you're worried. You know, at the time when I suggested Pipkin to Ryan Dinwiddie, I was worried about Arbuckle getting injured within the game itself. And then so, you know, because he's got the hamstring issue, I wasn't sure if he was going to play against Montreal or not. And I was concerned with their short yardage issues that the Argos have had. So, yeah, uh, I'm all for uh, uh, dressing your quarterbacks based on the opponent you're playing. I think that's a great idea. It's the the thing. The reason I think don't think it's going to happen is because Coach Dinwiddie being so new, like if you try something, if you're the first person to try something and it fails, it's it's all on you, <laughs> right? True. And if you're, you know, if you're an experienced coach, you've been around the league forever, you can afford to try stuff and they're going to give you another chance. I don't know, Coach Dinwiddie probably doesn't want to put that out there. He's a confident guy. He's pretty, you know, he's he's very sure of himself. But I, I just, I, I think that might be too unconventional a philosophy just to go week to week. I but, agree. But I it's agree. interesting. And, you know, for us who have no pressure, um, you know, we can <laughs> just sit easier. here and say whatever we want that way. I think it's a really intriguing idea. I would love to see it. I would applaud it. But then I would also probably criticize him if it didn't work. So <laughs> that's, that's true. You know, that's and that's the luxury that, that we have, I guess. But yeah. it was nice that that duo with uh, McLeod and Pipkin was fun to watch against yeah. Montreal. They complemented each other very well. And for a little stretch there, uh, Thompson hurt his knee. And then, you know, it, Pipkin would have been, it would have been great. You know, he was, was functional enough to come in. He could have run the offense. So, and they, you know, they had a lead, obviously. He, they would be able to hold on to that lead with him running the football. And he can throw the football. You know, they've been working on his mechanics since training camp. And Ryan Dinwiddie's mentioned how he's impressed with Pipkin's physical traits. It's obviously, it's obvious he's a tremendous runner. So there's some upside there with him. And I think the coaching staff likes him. So, um, We saw his abilities. I think he can make bigger plays than he did, but he was an asset in that game. And that's an area where for for whatever crazy reason, it frustrates me to no end when teams can't convert third and ones or to second and ones with the line of scrimmage rooms being what they are in the CFL. So um, with Pipkin, that wasn't a problem. And you see how defenses key in on DJ Foster had a very easy touchdown run because defenses were forced to key in on Pipkin on that play. They didn't follow him on the lead foster that is so that that worked out but so it benefits the offense and so if they can get creative with that it's an added dimension the team loves to run zone read and rpo to begin with they have two very they like two backs looks they use a little bit of tight end and fullback a little little mixed in so uh, it adds an extra layer to their offense that they don't already have so it's a, it's a good thing the last topic I wanted to get to with you is I want to talk about some of the the personnel that we haven't really seen yet. I know signing Cam Phillips, you know, way back when I think, you know, you and I probably both thought this is a guy that's going to get on the field pretty quickly, you know, just seeing what he did. You got to see him a little bit more than I did. Uh, you certainly know a lot more about all the XFL guys that have come in than, than I do. I did try to pay attention to it. I've watched a lot of film on it, but um, I, I don't think I can compete with you in that regard. What is it about Cam Phillips that is keeping him off the field? Because when I when I watch tape on him, he he looks ready to go. 
It's fascinating, Ben, because this is a big question that many people in the XFL community have had about Cam Phillips and people who are fans of him from Virginia Tech. The problem that Phillips had, and he was with the Buffalo Bills for a stretch and all that, he has lack of versatility as a player, as a wide receiver. He can only play one position. He's a one-trick pony. So he's a very he has very good hands, but he's not very fast. He's a good route runner. There's no question about it. But he's at 4-7 speed, and he's not a special teams guy. So it's why he hasn't latched on to NFL teams, because in order to make an NFL roster uh, in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh receiver slot, you have to play special teams. You have to be either a gunner or return kicks and punts. Same thing in the CFL. To justify you dressing as an additional receiver, you have to have added value. So, um, so, and I think Cam Phillips is a very good receiver, but I, it's telling to me that he hasn't made his way onto the field yet because um, it is difficult transitioning into the Canadian game. There's no question about it. And so it's not easy learning all the different positions you need to learn, but, and learning the different style of play. But um, I, I think Cam, it's telling to me that it, it's very possible that he hasn't picked it up like other receivers have. Like the, you know, obviously Daniel Braverman has some experience in the CFL. He was in Calgary with Dinwiddie. But guys like Damon Jean-Pierre and others, they've done a very good job with the limited amount of uh, time that they've had. So uh, Phillips, if you were to get on the field, it's very similar to Kendall Wright, excellent route runner, excellent hands. Um, I think he would be productive, but I don't know how versatile he is. And that's the reason why he, he hasn't made it in the National Football League, because if he's not a starting receiver on the outside or maybe in the slot, he doesn't have very much value anywhere else. Now, you brought up Kendall Wright, and that's another guy I wanted to talk about a little bit. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him leapfrog Phillips at this point and find his way into the roster before Phillips does. Wright, I think, is, has a bit more versatility. I, I feel like you can play Kendall Wright pretty much anywhere, and sure. we haven't seen him play in some time. You know, checking in on some of the guys that, that had covered him in the States, they weren't too complimentary of what, you know, his play looked like the, in his last couple stops, but... You know, I just rem- just from remembering his play and going back to watch some of his film when he was being productive, there's a lot to like there. Do you think we see him in the second half of the season? I hope so. You know, if he if we do see him in the second half of the season, that means that the coaching staff's extremely impressed with him. Obviously, he's a pro's pro NFL veteran. He's got seasons in the NFL with 92 catch years. He had big career in Baylor. Was a standout there. So. If he does make it onto the field quickly, that's a that bodes well for him. That means he's ready to go and that the coaching staff has faith in him. I wonder, though, like you mentioned, it's been a few years with him. He's you know, you wonder if he's lost a couple of steps, if he's lost some explosion. Um, I don't question his smarts or his ability to pick up an offense or uh, run routes, catch the ball. I think these are things that could be an asset to the team. Toronto is loaded at the receiver position. They have so many different options now. They have so many uh, promising young receivers that it's uh, it's going to be a good problem to have if they can ever get completely healthy. They're going to have an issue trying to figure out who they're going to dress every week, and they're going to have to decide whether or not they want to trade one of the receivers they have. I don't know if they want to journey into that. Uh, but I'd rather keep the strength that they currently have. But um, a right is going to have a hard time, you know, getting out there with the way Jean-Pierre has played, the way Gittins has played and others. I, you know, I, I think he might. It's not going to be easy to take snaps away from these guys. And it's funny, I was talking to JB earlier today about Duke Williams, who I guess there are some rumors going around that he's looking to sign a, a CFL contract. He wants to get that done soon. He may already have. I don't. I haven't even you know looked around the, the wire today. But 
I was immediately interested because he's a very gifted receiver. He's he's a sure. Dinwiddie type guy in that he's he's huge. Uh, Dinwiddie loves those big blocking receivers right. that Eric Rodgers, Juwan Breskis in style. And so I was thinking that, but but JB right away he's like, you know, for who? Like where where is he gonna <laughs> go? And it's true. It's like you said, like this position is it's so stacked. And when some of these guys start coming back, we saw Juwan Breskison running. You know, he's not he's not ready yet, but he's he's getting closer. There's gonna be a point, I, I think. At some point in the second half of the season, where he's going to be ready to go, you're going to have Braverman back soon. You know, it's where, do where you did put these, all these guys, guys? fit? You're, yeah, it's a good point. Where did these guys fit? I saw earlier today that Hamilton released uh, Devier opposing. Right, right. And I, I was thinking, wow, that'd be funny to like if Toronto signed him and then have him play Hamilton. He's a talented receiver, but uh, where is he going to play? You know, I don't know how healthy he is. So that they once they get their receivers back and fully healthy. And you mentioned something big there. Blocking is very important. I think Dinwiddie's a little reluctant to play some of the smaller guys. But the guys like Chandler Worthy and Damian Jean-Pierre need to be on the field. They bring an added dimension to the offense. The team has lacked uh, explosive plays down the field. And those those two players have a lot of wiggle and a lot of speed. And so they, they need to be factored in. I understand they're not good block. They're, you know, maybe they're decent blockers. I don't want to say they are horrible. But Rodgers and Daniels and Breskison are on a different level in terms of blocking. Uh, than those guys. So I don't know where these players will fit. Like Kendall Wright, it's a good problem to have. Toronto has a lot of options. They have one of the deepest receiving cores uh, in all of the CFL. So that's a good thing. Yeah, and I I feel I have a pretty good sense of, of Coach Dinwiddie's offense now, as you do as well. It's it's predicated entirely on uh, setting up the run, like blocking blocking the run. Uh, and that's the function of his receivers primarily is run block. And once we've got the run going, now you have the RPOs and the play action and those short passes to those big receivers. And that's largely why we didn't see any of these you know deep bombs uh, earlier right. in the season, because that's really not what his offense is about. They'll, they they tend to do it's double moves right instead of sending right. someone on a on a go route or or you know like a nine eight nine concept or something like that you you see you see yeah hook and go a sluggo uh, you know stuff like that that's a lot how, of it is based on deception a lot right. of it is based on deception but you have smart defenses that you know don't easily fall for things like that so you sometimes what you need is a speed guy on the outside that doesn't need to deceive you just put them out there and let them fly by defensive backs so and then keep defenses honest so. So, yeah, I agree with you. Rodgers is a tremendous blocker. I mean, we've seen him. He's made game-saving plays. Uh, he did that, uh, what was it, against Calgary week one uh, with a block in the backfield there where he was in motion. So, they, yeah, I understand the the need for that skill set at the receiver position. And, you know, Breskison looks like he's getting healthier too. He's, he's going to be a factor down the stretch. So uh, it's going to be interesting if they can finally get these guys all in the field at the same time healthy. It'll be interesting to see how explosive the offense can be. And who they are as well. If they're that's all true. healthy, who gets <laughs> walked out there? I'm hoping true. that in this Montreal game, I'm hoping that especially with this long week, you know, Coach Dinwiddie, it's not like he's been sitting by the pool all week. He's been, you know, he's been watching film, crunching numbers, going through stuff. I'm hoping he's sitting back there saying, huh, it's pretty nice having a 4-2 guy running fly routes down the down the sideline. Like that that worked pretty well. And I'm hoping that at least, at least one of those, those guys, Jean-Pierre or Worthy, gets uh, some extended time because, man, it's nice to have speed. And that's something that the the team was lacking in those those first few games of it's the season. It's going to keep defenses honest and it's going to open up the run game even further. So I think it just makes complete sense for, and, you know, Worthy has chemistry with McLeod Bethel-Thompson. So if those two are playing together, 
Um, where these had success against Montreal in the past. So I wasn't surprised that he played well against Montreal the last time. But yeah, I'm happy to see those two players included. And I think they bring in a different dimension like Pipkin does if he's active for games as well. So the Toronto has some good problems on offense. Mike, before we sign off here, would you please tell the good people where they can find you and where they can read all your stuff? Sure. Uh, you can. Uh, I'm at CFL News Hub. Um, obviously, write about the CFL and uh, cover the Toronto Argonauts for CFL News Hub. You can find me on Twitter at by Mike Mitchell B Y M I K E M I T C H E double L, and uh, that's basically it. I really appreciate you having me on, Ben, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. It's going to be really fun. Uh, you know, it was a long wait for the CFL to resume play. And now that we're getting into the second half of the season, it's going to be fun to see how things shake out. It's going to be exciting in the East and in the playoffs and everything else. Mike, I, I love reading your stuff and you put out more, I, I think I can confidently say you put out more Argos content than anyone else. I don't think there's anyone that is has anywhere close to the pace that you have. I know we certainly don't. We don't put out anywhere near the content you do. And so if you're an Argos fan, you're at home always craving Argos content, which I know everyone always is. If you're not reading CFL News Hub and checking out Mike's stuff, you absolutely have to. It's really good. He's He's... He's got amazing sources. I think you've also got some of the best sources in the league too. You you find great information and your analysis is there too. You're not just, it's not just news. It's here's the news. Here's what it means. Let me break it down for you. I read your stuff every day and, you know, I would encourage any Argos fan to do the same. So Mike, thank thanks. you. Thank you for the compliments, Ben. I, I really appreciate it uh, to have your respect. And then thank you so much for reading my work and, uh, and uh, it's it's so much fun covering the league, and I love covering the Argonauts, and just so it's great to hear words like that from you. Thank you. Thanks uh, so much for joining me today, Mike. It's been awesome. Thanks, Ben. For Mike Mitchell, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.